Well, it is, it is good to have you guys here, and uh, thank you so much again for just making the sacrifice of being here on a Saturday morning uh, when you could be doing other things. Um, really, just really glad you're here. And um, I, I apologize for not getting an email out, but obviously you guys didn't need it this week because you, you're here. Um, but if guys re- rely on, a, on an email reminder, um, I didn't get it out this week. My, my week has been a little um, I, I, just short story. I'm just behind. So um, it's, it's a miracle that I'm here. <laughs> and uh, if you show up tomorrow and I'm there tomorrow morning, it'll be a miracle too. So you can just, uh, if you want, you can pray this weekend or for today. The next 24 hours are crucial. Um, but anyway, it's just good to be here. It's good to have God's word out in front of us this morning as, as we'll be together and just to talk about the things that we're going to talk about together again, the same old stuff that I hope never becomes boring to your soul, um, to your heart. So let, let's start with prayer and then let, we'll re- do what we always do. We'll have you flip your notebook over and we'll walk through those disciplines again and um, we'll, we'll, we'll chug along, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to be together this morning. Lord, I thank you for these men, and I pray that you would bless them for their efforts this morning, Lord, for coming, um, that you would just make their um, time here to be fruitful. Lord, I pray that it would be fruitful as they um, are just pursuing you. Um, They're pursuing you as we study your word. They're pursuing you in our fellowship together. And I pray, God, that um, they would... Have their day be started off in a in the right direction, in the right way because of this. Thank you, Lord, that we can put our lives together, um, that we can be members of this body that's called Grace Bible Church. And Lord, we just pray that you would draw near to us as we are now drawing near to you. Um, help your word to be clear in our minds and our hearts, maybe powerful. Lord, we want it to judge the intentions of our thoughts and hearts. Um, So God, please come and reveal to us yourself primarily, first and foremost, that we might see you. And then also reveal to us any sin that we need to deal with. And then God, reveal to us also the gospel that stands between who you are and our sin and reminds us of what you have done, not what we have done but what you have done to take away our sin from your sight in Jesus, to make us into new creatures in Christ, to give us now a, a capacity and a power and equipping to be able to walk in obedience to you, not, not perfect obedience by any means, but God, you have given to us desires that we never had before when we were apart from Christ. Thank you for making us alive together with him, for raising us up with him, for seating us with him in the heavenlies. Lord, we are rich men this morning. Though the world could take away everything from us that it has to give and take, Lord, we would still be the richest men because of what we have in Christ and because of who we are in Christ. Thank you for this truth, for this promise from you. Lord, guide our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to... um, Introduce to you uh, Trevor. Trevor, just raise your hand. Trevor's jumping in with us here halfway through. He and his wife have made their way over to Grace Bible Church. We're grateful for that. And um, he's going to be in with Omri and Jake and your guys' small group. So um, be nice to him. 
so that he'll want to come back. But uh, anyway, it's good to have you here, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, let's look at your notebooks on the back. Flip them over. We'll do what we always do. This is what we want to ingrain in our minds. We want to ingrain in our minds um, these biblical, spiritual leadership disciplines um, so that we are the kind of men that God calls us to be before him, so that we can be the kind of men that God has called us to be um, in our homes, um, so that we can be the kind of men that God has called us to be in the church. Um, So this is about you. This is about your growth in godliness. This is about your own personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But it's also much bigger than that. It's about your household being what it must be, and it's about the church being a strong body of Christ. um, Because when the men of the church are strong, um, the church is strong. And if the men are nowhere to be found, the church is weak. Um, So we want to make sure that this is about you, that um, it's about your home, but it's also about strengthening Grace Bible Church. And it all begins with you shepherding your heart. That's the first discipline. You shepherd your heart to the Word of God, primarily to what? to meet with God, to know God. I know that it is so easy for me to approach the Word of God because I need to finish a sermon, because I need to uh, be able to answer a question, because I need to win an argument, because I just want to know theologically a, a position. Um, and and that's those, we need to come to the Word of God to get those things. But if we come to the Word of God and get all of those things and we don't get God, we don't get Jesus. Um, we are hollow men, and the church will be uh, filled with hollow leadership from its men. And so, remind yourself that your time in God's Word is primarily worship of God, and the Word of God is there to open up, be opened up for you to reveal God to you. Now, the Word of God reveals a lot of other things as well, but don't ever miss the opportunity to worship God through His Word, to enjoy God through His Word, to fear God through his word, to delight in God through his word. Think of all the things you can do that direct you to God through his word, okay? Uh, upon As you are practicing that discipline, which you will never graduate from, you at the same time simultaneously are looking to make an impact as that kind of a man, and the first place you look to make an impact is in discipline to your home. So you want to shepherd your home or your household. It doesn't matter if you're a kid living in your house with your parents It doesn't matter if you're a single man living out on your own with other guys. It doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if you're married and you have kids. It doesn't matter if you're an empty nester. Uh, You want to be looking to make an impact on your household, the people that you live with, roommates, siblings, parents, spouse, children. You want to make an impact there. Um, God puts a priority on the household. We've been walking through that and looking at that. Uh, So we don't want to be men who play leapfrog over our households. It's easy in the church for men to do that. Uh, The history of the church uh, all over the place, especially even in our country, even in your lifetime, is is filled full of examples of men who got excited about church ministry and left his household in the dust, and his ministry came crashing down around him. And we just, look, we want to avoid that if at all possible, uh, by God's grace. So, um, shepherd your heart, then shepherd your home. Third discipline that happens concurrent with that because you never graduate from discipline two is the ministry. Now you want to shepherd yourself um, to be thinking about how to do gospel ministry. That'll be coming up uh, in the next, I think it's our next uh, time together. On January 26th, we'll start looking at the ministry portion of that discipline. 
uh, if you're a man who's caring for your soul well with God's word, and you are a man who is making an impact, a gospel impact in your home with the word of God coming out of every pore of your body, you, when you step into the lives of other people in the church or even outside of the church with the gospel, you are a man with integrity. You are a man who is living out what the gospel created and intends for you. That's huge. We want consistency. We want integrity because God wants consistency and God wants integrity. Discipline four then is, is really just a specific uh, intentional part uh, on our part to want to focus on the qualifications that are spelled out in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1. In particular, what we look at first in build um, is the deacon qualifications. And so that will be coming up actually in February and in March. We'll take a look at, um, spend two times together just looking at Acts 6. And then um, 1 Timothy 3, we'll look at the qualifications themselves. We'll give you a tool that will help you to be able to consistently pray through the deacon qualifications for yourself so that you can spend time in prayer before God, bringing the qualification that is spelled out in 1 Timothy 3. You can be praying about it in your own life. Um, Discipline 5 is on the hermeneutic. Uh, It's how we want to be handling the Word of God at Grace Bible Church. Um, Primarily what that means is... um, Treating our Bible like it was written, our hermeneutic wants to match the way that the Bible was written. The Bible was written from left to right, from Genesis forward in the nature of progressive revelation. And so we're going to make sure that as we interpret the Bible, that we work from left to right, not working backwards from right back to left. Uh, Letting scripture build on itself, being content um, in pages where Messiah has not yet come to not try to push Messiah in it necessarily in ways that are inappropriate um, and, and things like that. I, I was even having a conversation with a guy um, about the early pages of Acts and how there are examples of what was going on in the early church there that are not even what necessarily what we must be doing today. And so we want to make sure that we allow certain parts of the Bible to stand in their own historical context and then allow for other passages to build on that, to bring clarity, to to bring out um, just greater understanding for us. Uh, Lastly, last discipline, discipline six, is on the vision, the purpose of Grace Bible Church. Um, I would think the first five disciplines that we've looked at would work anywhere you'd ever be, in a parachurch ministry, in in another local church, but you're at Grace Bible Church, and we have a, a particular biblical vision and a gospel purpose that we're after, and we want all of these disciplines to be working together under that vision and purpose. So that's what we're all about. We want to put emphasis upon that. That's what we're calling you to unite your life um, with ours around these spiritual leadership disciplines so that we're all, as men in the church, thinking the same kind of thing. So with that said, I want to take a quick moment, transition, and tell you about a couple of things. Shepherd's Conference is coming up in March. Uh, If that's something that you're interested in, uh, you go to the website itself and you register yourself. Um, If you want to talk to me about that, if you have some needs financially and want to talk about that, please let me know. I'd love to chat with you about that. Uh, Get creative with you about how we can make it possible for you to go. Um, But that's something that we try to take guys to every year, and uh, it's just really enjoyable to spend those times together. Um, Also, um, George Siegel wanted me to let you guys know that if you are not yet plugged in serving someplace, or even if you are and you feel like you could do some, some more, um, set up and Teardown would love to have you, okay? Um, and George just does such a good job of, of taking care of um, the guys who are a part of that. How many of you are a part of Set Up and Teardown? Put, let's see, 
It's a good number of you guys. Okay. Now, I want to throw a plug in too. It's a lot funner than just setting up in a chair and tearing down chairs and might see. It is a lot of fun. It is. A lot of good fellowship going on. Whenever I've walked in and... You're allowed to stop and chat and encourage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and even tease and mock a little bit, I think, right? At, at times. A little bit. Um, so anyway, if, if, if you haven't thought about where you're a place to serve and, and, and need to, and, and you do need to, you need to be serving in the body, um, that's a great place. You'll, you'll just love it there. It's a, it's a great place to be. And uh, we're going to jump right in here to our study of Titus chapter 2. So go ahead and open up to Titus chapter 2, just the letter of Titus from Paul. We'll begin by asking some questions to clarify the context so that we understand when we step into Titus chapter 2, verse 3, what on earth is this letter about? Um, what led up to Titus 2, verse 3? Uh, and what will follow from Titus 2, 3 to 5? And again, as always, let's pray. Let's ask for God to help us as we look at his word. We should never assume that we're just, oh yeah, I'll get this. I've seen this before. Uh, but we should... Be humble um, before God's word and remember our need. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the chance to humble ourselves here with your word open before us. Lord, we want it to be up high and we want ourselves to be down low under it. Let us not sit in judgment of your word, but we pray that your word would sit and sift through our thoughts and intentions. Thank you for the opportunity this morning to look at a passage that maybe we haven't looked at very often. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to become more familiar with your heart in it um, and what uh, your gospel aims to produce in a, in a Christian woman. Um, as those who lead our homes, it's important for the women in our home uh, to know that we know where they need to go. Um, and so, God, I pray that you would use this this morning, not so that we can go home and criticize any woman who's in our home, who's not living up to it, to Titus 2. But I pray instead that you would help us to be humbled so that we can see better how to help the women in our home um, rise to what you have for them in Titus 2. So God, make us into humble servants who want to lift up our daughters and our, our moms, our wives. Help us, God, our sisters. Father, for these guys here who are not yet married, but want to be. Lord, I pray that this would be well-equipping for them. God, just meet each one of us where we are at with our own particular needs. Um, Comfort us with the gospel. Father, where we have made mistakes, where we have sinned, maybe even where we have sinned boldly in the past against our wives, our our children, our daughters, um, our family, parents, yeah, just remind us of your grace in the gospel and remind us that your grace has come bringing salvation to all men, instructing them, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Heavenly Father, we need your grace to make the, the, the turn in repentance and to walk in a godly way. And so God, we rely upon you to take us from where we are and take us where we need to be as men. 
So we humble ourselves before you and we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so some questions to help clarify the context as we get started here. Why did Paul leave Titus in Crete? Look at verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. After the introduction of the letter, Paul tells Titus why he left him there. He said, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. In other words, whatever it was that Paul was able to do on his gospel mission um, endeavor there, he wasn't able to complete it. There were some things that were left remaining, uh, and he wanted to have Titus finish those. Among that was appointing elders in every city as I directed. Namely, verse 6, If a man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Now, why do elders, according to this, need to be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict? Well, that's what verses 10 to 16 are all about. Look what he says. For, or in other words, because there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of them themselves, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So what was going on was there were some men teaching um, on the island of Crete. And therefore the elders had to be men who could refute that error that was being taught. Um, so what is Paul's strategy uh, for Titus so that he can address the damage that has been caused by the false teachers um, at the household level. Remember what they were doing is they were um, upsetting whole families. These false teachers were upsetting whole families. Fathers, sons, mothers, daughters being upset by this false teaching. So what is Titus' strategy given to him by Paul? Chapter 2. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, in contrast to them. Older men, older women, um, young men, verse 6, and then he even talks about the slaves. The younger women are, are mentioned in there as well. So Titus' strategy given to him by Paul is to um, go after and to address the household, to secure the household against the false teaching that's going on. Um, what is ultimately at stake in the church and what is ultimately at stake even outside the church through the behavior of older men and women, younger women and younger men, Titus and even slaves. Look at verse 1. 
teach the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Um, there has to be a living that is that, that corresponds with the sound doctrine. It has to fit the sound doctrine that is given. Uh, drop down to verse 5. Uh, the younger women are to be sensible, pure, workers at home, being kind, subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. That's what's at stake. Look at verse 8. Um, this is for the uh, younger man. Um, look how it ends. So that they will have nothing bad to say about us. That's what's at stake. You see, the false teachers come in and, yeah, they upset the faith of some, but it gives everybody else outside the home something in the community. It gives them something bad to say about the way the Christians are living in their home as they're upset by these false teachers. Um, The word of God is being dishonored in the community as these false teachers have come in and upset families. Um, Drop down to verse, what is the next one? Verse 10. For the slave, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. The word, the verb, will adorn, is is uh, is, is where we get our word cosmetic from. Um, give it, let it, let its appeal, let its beauty be seen and drawn out, so that the doctrine of God will be adorned, uh, be seen to be the beautiful thing that it is. Um, that's what's at stake. False teachers have come. They're upsetting whole families. The way that the families are behaving is now giving the people outside of the church as they look in reason to uh, look down upon the church, look down upon the word of God. And um, Titus is sent by Paul to bring a correction to that by teaching the household. Um, Well, how is it possible for these believers to actually adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect through their behavior. How is it even possible that they can have the right behavior necessary so that God's word is is not looked down upon, so that it is adorned? Well, that's what verses 11 and following are about in chapter 2. Look, here's how they can do it. Well, because the grace of God has appeared. Here's how you can live godly in your house. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Well, what does that Grace that has appeared that brings salvation do. It instructs us. God's grace doesn't just save you. It doesn't just wipe out your transgressions in forgiveness before God's sight. Um, That's wonderful. It does that. But God's grace continues on in your life and in your sanctification process, instructing you to deny ungodliness and to deny worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. That's how they can do it. They're going to do it by God's grace, which is at work in their lives, which causes them to look for the blessed hope, verse 13, and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus Who is he? He's the one who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and uh, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, a people who are zealous for good deeds. This is how the families are going to be able to live in such a way that they will be able to, um, nobody will have anything bad to say about them from the outside. Because of what Jesus did at the cross, because of the grace of God that has come to them. Um, So this is all, Paul is not telling Titus to go instruct the people to do something that they have no equipping for. They have the equipping for this. They do, because the gospel has come. The grace of God has come to them. 
Why is it important for men in the church? I want to ask that question. Um, and this is where you have some blanks to fill in, I think, down at the bottom of your first page. Why is it important for men? I mean, why are we studying this? I mean, usually you find out that women are the ones who are studying Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. And we do that. We, we encourage our, our women to examine that passage. But why is, why is it important for us, for the men of the church, um, to understand God's gospel and the effects of the gospel on women in the church? Here's the first one, letter I. I must align. There's your word to fill in. I must align my leadership with God's gospel expectations for women in my home. If God's gospel expectations for the women in the home is spelled out in Titus 2, verses 3 to 5, well, my leadership needs to be in alignment with that, not broadsiding it at every point. If God's gospel is forming a woman to be this way, but I keep broadsiding it with the way that I'm leading, and I don't even know it, I'm causing all kinds of trouble in my home. We have to know what this is, right? Secondly, my leadership must help the woman or the women in my home embrace God's gospel and gospel implications for the living. They need to embrace what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says, right? As the loving leader of your wife, maybe your future wife, or of your daughter or your future daughter, or any woman in your home, you must expose your wife or your daughter's heart to God's design for them here in Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. Why? So that they can embrace it for themselves. Okay? Um, and boy, yeah. I have a question about Titus 2, 5. Yeah. Uh, when it says uh, uh, workers at home, can you kind of that? We are going to walk through that okay. in just a little bit here. So those are in the pages to come. It's a great question. Um, thank you for asking that. And you guys know this. I mean, look, what is the message out in this world towards women? It is anything but what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says. It is your job as the leader, the spiritual leader of the household, either now or someday, if, if other women are going to be in your home, your wife and daughters under you, it is your job to help them know what God's expectation is and the implications of the gospel on them as women because it's going to be in direct conflict with what the world has already been telling them, right? Thirdly, my leadership of the women in my home must contribute to the adorning of the gospel and the silencing of the critics. There's your two words, adorning of the gospel and silencing of the critics. Look, guys, let's silence the world so that they have nothing bad to say about us. And positively, let's adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior, Jesus, by being the spiritual leaders in our home so that we're leading the women in our home to be godly women so that they know what they're supposed to be so that God's word, when people look at us and say, that's an unusual way for a daughter or a wife or a mom or a sister to be acting. Why is she that way? Then you adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, before them. You speak highly. You, you bring out the beauty of the gospel before them. Lastly, number four, my leadership of the women in my home can protect my household from being upset. Your word to fill in the blank there is protect. My leadership of the women in my home can protect my household from being upset. Remember in Titus 1.11, they were being upset by bad doctrine. So as a loving leader of your home, you can spiritually protect the women in your home from false doctrine through placing in plain sight in front of them gospel behavior. Notice Titus's strategy. It's probably not what yours would be. 
Here's what my strategy would have been. False teachers are coming. False teachers are present. They're upsetting families. Okay, they're teaching what is not true. Here's how I'm going to fix it. We're going to have a class, and we're going to teach doctrine, and we're going to make sure everybody understands theology correctly. But the way that he is securing a family is, is through what? How doctrine changes the way that you live. Your behavior. What secures the household? Obedience. Strong obedience to the doctrine. Do you understand that? That is counterintuitive to us. We think what secures us is right knowledge. It's true. We have to know what is right. But if your life is not obedient to the gospel, if your life is not obedient to the truth of the word of God, you are not any more secured before error. The way that you become secured, the way that your family becomes secured from error is through obedience to doctrine. Okay, do you understand that? All right. So some questions here for you. These are all questions that are in your green sheet. How have you, um, how aware have you been of Titus, well, what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says and what it means for the women around you in the church, whether you're married or not? Um, listen, here's what's safe to assume. If you don't know what Titus 2, 3 to 5 lays out for women, it's probably possible that the woman in your household doesn't know what it lays out because you're the leader. You need to know and you need to be setting the, the pace for them. Uh, if you're single and you hope to be married someday, how aware have you been of Titus 2, 3 to 5 as you prayerfully consider marriage? As you're thinking about a young woman, has Titus 2, 3 to 5 even crossed your mind? It needs to, right? And, and look, you can only be where you are. That's a profound statement, I know. You can only be where you are. The question is, why are you where you are? If you are unaware of Titus 2, 3 to 5, great, that's where you are. But why are you there? Are you there because you've just been purposefully not wanting to know what it says? Or you just, it just hasn't crossed your mind? Those are two different kinds of people that need to be dealt with in two different kinds of ways. So why are you where you are? And let's make the steps forward that you need to be making. If you're married or you have daughters, how aware do you think um, the women in your home are of what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says and means for them? I would not assume that you're, because you understand what Titus 3, 2, 3 to 5 says, that the women in your home understand equally, like you do, what it means and says. Um, get to the bottom of where people are at in your home. Okay? All right, so now let's jump into Titus 2, 3 to 5. Um, the gospel, you can see it there. What is this passage all about? It's this. The gospel is honored through transformed older women training transformed younger women. That's how the gospel is honored. That's what's going on here. The gospel must be honored in the island of Crete. It must be honored where you and I live. And the only way that it's going to in this section for for uh, this particular audience is if transformed older women are training transformed younger women. So let's start first, number one, with this. What older women transformed by the gospel must be. Verse three. This is what they must be. It says, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. He starts off with, actually in the list, addressing the older men in verse 2. And then he moves to the older women. And the first thing he says is the older women 
He wants to address the older women. What, what does that mean? There are some who will say, uh, who will try to put an actual age on this, um, which I think is, is kind of arbitrary. I, I don't know how you do this. The logic goes something like this. Well, childbearing ends about 40 or 45. And then child rearing ends at about 60 or 65. And so these are the older women in the 60 to 65 age range. And I, I don't know how you know that from this. Um, I just think it's probably safe to just leave it as older. So whatever your congregation has, focus on the older women <laughs> with this. And if the older women, in this church at one point, the older women were people who were in their 30s. If you were in your 30s, you were an older person in this church. Okay? Um, and, and that's changed a lot. Praise God. We, we, um, we need older than that older. Um, but um, anyway, focus on that for them. Um, the point not to miss is this. Older women in the church are a, a rich spiritual resource in the church. That's what Titus is, is being told by Paul here. Um, women will come in two categories. The ones in the church that are older should come alongside the ones that are younger. View your church that way. Address them that way, I think. And by the way, just because a woman is older doesn't mean that she's qualified to do all of this. Um, the older woman is to possess a certain gospel-created character. Okay, Just because a woman is older doesn't mean she is this automatically. She has to be an older woman who has this gospel-created character so that she can carry out this ministry to women. And what must she be? Number one, she needs to be reverent in behavior. Do you see that? Reverent in behavior. Uh, this is the only use of this word in the New Testament. It has its roots in the priesthood. It's, it's a priesthood kind of like word. Um, a priest is a person who is set apart for priestly duties, a, an uncommon role that the person plays. The person is sacred, filling out a sacred role. That's the idea that's to be carried over into the older woman. Paul sees the older women of the church to be a sacred possession for the church. They have a sacred role. What they are a part of or in going after is um, a sacred ministry. Even though an older woman may just look common and just like easy to overlook, no, she is set apart for something unique. Um, she lives her life, she is to live her life as if she is continually in the presence of God like a priest was in the temple. That's how God says the older woman is to be. And I think most likely in verse 3, this, this um, quality is an overarching quality for the older women. It's, it's, a, it's one that summarizes the whole of what she is to be. Uh, and the descriptions that follow help flesh out what a reverent in behavior older woman looks like. I think it's, a, it's much like the overarching qualification for an elder is to be above reproach. And you know what that means by looking at all of the other qualifications underneath it. Um, but this is what the gospel intends to produce in an older woman. When, when, when God in his grace in the gospel comes and transforms a woman and over time she becomes an older woman, what the gospel wants to produce in her is reverent behavior, a set-apart character, right? That's the gospel's intent. She must be a woman marked by an uncommon behavior, a set-apart behavior. A couple questions for you. Do you long for your wife to be that kind of woman? Do you long for your daughter to be that kind of a woman? Are you looking for a, a wife, a woman now, who is interested in living a life that looks different than the way other women live? 
Are you concerned to direct your wife in the direction of reverent living? Ask your wife if she thinks you're concerned. You're going to see that question, that kind of a thing over and over. And I want to explain. I don't want to... What I'm trying to get across with that is... This is my own testimony. What I think my wife thinks is one thing. What my wife actually is thinking is most times not what I'm thinking. And so if I would, if you were to ask me, do you think Kim um, knows that you're concerned for her holiness of life? What, what's my answer going to be? Like, yeah, of course. If I go ask my wife and she pauses and goes, hmm, yeah, I guess, I think so. See, that, that's what we have to get to the bottom of, right? You don't want to, don't assume that your wife knows that you're concerned for her reverent behavior. Don't assume that your daughter knows that you're concerned for holiness of life. Go ask. Um, let's talk about question or number two, the second characteristic. A, a woman, older women likewise are to be not malicious gossips. Um, that's just one word in the Greek. It's diabolos. We get our word diabolical from it. Uh, Diablo in Spanish, it is the devil. The devil is a slanderer. It's primarily what the idea means, that, that she is not to be a woman who engages in slander. Older women are not to uh, repeat then vicious gossip that they hear. They cannot become women who are backbiting towards others. Uh, they should not be women who either start up a scandalous charge against someone or perpetuate and advance a scandalous charge. Um, rather, she is to be a woman who can control her tongue from participating in that which pushes others down in the eyes of others. Um, and because this quality is negated along with the next one, it's possible that um, not malicious gossips and not enslaved to much wine, that they, that they go together in Paul's mind. So let's talk about number three, um, and then we'll work through some application questions. Not enslaved to much wine. So not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine. It's possible, um, we think that in Crete, that men and even the women were known for heavy drinking. Um, Paul said, you know, one of their own prophets said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. It's possible that part of their gluttony was heavy drinking. In fact, one of the other pieces of evidence for this appears... uh, in in in, in I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter three and verses eight and eleven, in the qualifications listed there for deacons and for their wives. Now, Timothy was in Ephesus. Titus is in Crete. In Crete, Paul tells Timothy similarly uh, to be concerned about wine and the use of wine. Uh, verse eight: uh, Deacons are not to be addicted to much wine. Verse eleven. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, same word, faithful in all things. Those two words that are used for the, the people of Ephesus is not the same word that Paul uses to address the women in Crete. The word in Crete that he's using there has slave language in it. And so what he is possibly saying is people of Crete were just a bunch of drunks. This was what they were enslaved to. They were heavy drinking drunken people. Um, a milder expression is used in Ephesians or in First Timothy, which was based in Ephesus. Uh, this is a, a term of bondage here in Titus chapter 2. 
Now, obviously, Paul nowhere in any of his writings um, totally forbids wine or, or the use of alcohol, right? But Paul, in, in multiple places, what, what does he strongly condemn? Drunkenness. Drunkenness. And he exhorts in that believers to not be enslaved by much wine. Um, the point here is self-control. The point is that self-control must always remain in contact or intact um, completely, uh, especially when I mean, self-control is an overarching quality of your life. It's a fruit of the spirit. And, and there even needs to be self-control in the use of alcohol, right? Um, so what's then the connection between not malicious gossips and not enslaved to much wine? Well, it's probably obvious to you. When, when your self-control is compromised um, by too much wine, what happens to your tongue? Blah, everything comes out, right? The tongue can all too easily participate in malicious gossip. So some questions for you on, on being a malicious gossip and not being enslaved to much wine. Are you the kind of man, first of all, that's concerned that slander or gossip not find a lodging place in the woman that you would date, or your wife, or your daughter? Do you long for your wife to be a woman who has control over her words? Here's something to think about. Do you know, not just what your wife does on email, or on Facebook, or in phone calls, but do you know the effects of your wife's words on others? Through social media, and whatever. Are you looking for a woman who is far from the charge of being a slanderer? Um, are you concerned to direct your wife away from gossip? Or are you concerned to protect her from such a sin? How so? Ask your wife if she thinks you're concerned about her tongue. Don't just say, oh, I know I'm concerned about her tongue. Ask her if she thinks you're concerned about her language, her words. Um, in regards to alcohol, couple of sets of questions here. Are, are you the kind of man, first and foremost, that is passionate to not lose your own self-control in the use of alcohol? Right? Let, let's, let's run this through ourselves first, right? Um, are you the kind of man who's in control in your use of alcohol? Do you long for your wife to always have self-control? Do you want her to always have self-control, especially in the use of alcohol? Um, if you're a single man, is that the kind of woman that you find attractive? Uh, that's that's an that's an interesting thing to, to think about. You look at out there all the women out there possible. A woman who's concerned to control herself with alcohol is that attractive to you? That might say more about our own hearts and what we think is attractive than anything. Has your oversight of the use of alcohol in your marriage, in your home, in your life has it been helpful for your wife? so that she would have no trouble meeting this qualification as she becomes an older woman. Are you concerned um, to direct your wife away from the numbing effect on self-control that too much alcohol can produce? Uh, These are just evaluation questions for you to think through. Um, are you protecting your wife? How are you protecting her? Ask her what she thinks. Um, number four, teaching what is good. An older woman is to be teaching what is good at the end of verse 3. It's one word in the Greek. It's the word good or beneficial on the front of the word teacher. So a good teacher, beneficial teacher. A, a teacher who is teaching what is good, who is teaching what is beneficial. Uh, this does not mean 
necessarily that an older woman is to be able to formally teach Bible studies or Bible lessons. It implies at a minimum, however, uh, the ability of an older woman to informally teach by word and by example the things that would be beneficial to the younger women in the church, which are then spelled out in verses 4 to 5. So some questions for you. Are you the kind of man that wants to live a life that brings good and benefit to others. Let's just start first about us. We know that an older woman is to be one who wants to teach what is good and beneficial. Is that what you're about as a man? And do you long for your wife to live the same kind of life so that as she grows older, that um, younger women would find her words of experience to be beneficial? You want your wife to become one that a younger woman would love to sit with someday. And, and say, well, I, I just I want to get what's beneficial and good there from her. Um, are you concerned for your wife to be able to impart what is good for younger women? Has your oversight of her life and ministry positioned her to be able to have an avenue of input into other women? Um, does your wife have the, does she sense that she's got a, an open door of access to other women in the church? Good evaluation questions for you to think of. Um, so as we make a, start to make a little bit of a transition here, if the younger women of the church are going to be the kind of women that God desires them to be, okay, we're talking about the younger women, right? If the younger women of the church are going to be the kind of women that God desires them to be in the gospel, then it requires the older women of the church to be of a certain character. Older women, verse 3, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, all so that the younger women can be a certain kind of woman, right? Do you see how God here has connected together the lives of the older women with the lives of the younger women in the church? In the gospel, God has created a dependency for the younger women upon the older women. Do you understand this? That's what this passage is, is revealing to us. There's a dependency between the, uh, that the younger women have on the older women. Now, can younger women in the church be godly apart from any older women? Uh, of course, right? Of course that can happen. But God has something much better in mind than that for the church. And so we need to be the kinds of heads of our households who make our homes to be the fertile soil that a woman can grow up in and become a godly older woman. That's up to you and me. We're going to be the ones to set what the soil of our home is like that our wives are going to grow in, right? <coughs> We're responsible for that. We get to set the tone um, and the soil condition for all of that. What is your wife growing into? That would be a good question to think about and take before the Lord. And the primary point here is, um, guys, again, is to not go to your wife after today and critique her according to where she doesn't meet up. That's not the point, right? Um, the primary point is, is for us to become the kind of man um, who's not merely aware of what God wants for your wife or for others, but to become a man who loves what God wants your wife to be so that you can prepare the soil of your home well for women to grow into. So let's move now to number two, Roman numeral number two. What transformed older women 
must train the transformed younger women to be. Okay, verses 4 and 5. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage or train um, the young women to love their husbands and to love their children um, so that they might encourage or train. At, at one time, um, this, this verb of encourage or train had the idea of bringing someone to their senses. Uh, probably has lost that in its meaning a little bit um, by the time of the New Testament, but it's probably just the, the, the idea of advising them, training them, urging them, um, wising them up in regards to their character and their responsibilities. And, and what is interesting here, I think, is that Titus himself is to um, directly address all of the other groups. Titus, it says older men are to be this, older women are to be that. Drop down to verse 6, urge the young men to be this. But the only group that he is not to directly address, or, and that's not to say that he never spoke to any younger women in the church, but it's interesting in the way that it's written. Um, the only group that is, stands out differently and apart from that is the younger women. Um, I don't think we should try to make more of that than necessary, but, but what is unique about this group in this list is that this group of younger women is, again, dependent on one of the other groups in a way that the others are not. Do you understand that? I think that's probably just the wisdom of God in his own mind uh, for the church, that he wants the younger women to have a dependency relationship on the older women. Um, the younger men are not even instructed here to be taught by the older men. Now, should that happen in a church? Sure. But he spelled it out more specifically for the women. Um, the point emphasized here is the older women have a very direct training role with the younger women, that, that even goes beyond what, what Titus does. He could have just said, Titus, teach the younger women to love their husbands. He could have said that. But he said, no, have the older women do it. Do you understand? So they are to have a direct training role with the younger women. Um, and elders, of course, and other men in the church will have a part in that as they teach and shepherd. But there's a unique relationship between that older woman and the younger woman in the body of Christ and there's to be an exhortation to the older women to be what they must be in the gospel so that they can become the trainers um, more directly upon the younger women than anybody else in the church. Um, Titus and the elders are, uh, maybe that's probably stating it too strong, more than anybody else in the church. I think a husband has a bearing on his wife's godliness of life more than, than another woman. But there is a unique relationship alongside that in, in the church. Young women, uh, what does that mean? Teach the young women, encourage the young women. Uh, it just means the women who are in the earlier stages of life. Uh, maybe those who are newer in marriage, fresh in marriage, newer in parenting, fresh in parenting. And what are they to be taught? What are they to be? Number one, husband lovers. You see that? Verse four. So that they may train the young women to love their husbands. Uh, this is one word. It's the word love on the front and man on the back. Lover of the man. And the man is not just any man out there, but the man who is her man, her husband. Um, this is having more than an emotional affection for a husband. He's, that's not what she's saying. This is biblical love. And biblical love is self-giving love. 
self-giving action, self-emptying love that does so purely for the benefit and the good of the other. It is not earned. It is not deserved. It is just given in grace and in kindness for the benefit of the other, which obviously is led for us an example by our great Savior who gave of himself for us, right, for our good. So the newly married or the younger wife is to be concerned about giving herself uh, for her husband in a way that is good and beneficial for him. That's love. Now, I want you to think about this. I find this to be amazing in verse 4. That they may, um, and I think encourage misses the, the point here. It's not, it's not bad, but think about this. That they may train the young women to love. Train somebody to love. Train, train somebody to love. Yeah. Well, um, aren't we supposed to fall in love? Yeah, in the world, yeah, we're supposed to fall in love. <laughs> we're supposed to fall in love. Loving someone else according to the way that the world thinks, loving someone else is placed before us like it's something uncontrollable that happened to me. I fell into love. And, and so I love, but because it kind of happened to me. Um, but that's not at all what God expects. It's not what God desires in the gospel. Actually, this is completely counterintuitive to anything the world or a culture would know. A young woman is to be trained, advised by an older woman how to give of herself in love to her husband. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that she didn't love her husband before she was married. It doesn't necessarily mean that she had no affections for him before they were married. But... What if she didn't have any affections before? What if, in their day, it was an arranged marriage? What if there are arranged marriages on this planet today in the church in some parts of the world? How does Titus 2, verse 4, help? Let me train you, an older woman would say, to love. I'm not going to help you fall in love with your husband. We're after the gospel and I'm going to train you how to love. That is shocking. That's shocking. That is so, that go, that's probably even offensive to you. I, I hope maybe it is at one sense because it needs to rattle you for a second to think about this. Now, he's not saying, look, don't have any emotions stirred or anything like that. Of course, they will be in time. But that's not what the gospel is after. The gospel is about training us, showing us how to love advising us how to do this. Um, so that exhortation would work even in an arranged marriage. Um, the idea for her is that bring this love under her will. I will to love you by giving myself to you, husband. That's what I do. And I do it for your good. Rather than I'm not just going to do it because I, I feel like it and I fell in love. Trevor. Just like a quick uh, comparison to Ephesians 5 and us loving our wives Yeah, I, th I think that's. I think I think you're right. Um, all love, whether it's our love for our wives or or this love that she is to have for us, um, is not based 
primarily on, on how we feel about them. Because Christ's love for us isn't based on how he feels for us. It's based on his, his decision to love us, um, to give himself away, to empty himself out for our good. Now, does he also have affection for us? Yes. But it's not primarily driven by affection. It's driven by his will. He wills to... And that is just so counter to the way that we think. We think that love to be real has to be something we feel warm and fuzzy about. Listen, man, if you base... I'm just going to tell you now, if you don't know this already, if you base your marriage on how you feel about her, you are in a world of hurt. Because you ain't going to feel that way all the rest of your days. Now, you should labor to stir up your affections for your wife. You should. And you want her to do that towards you, do you not? But that's not the core of your love relationship. The core of your love relationship is you, regardless of how you feel, you do what is best for her. You sacrifice yourself. That's love. That's love, right? So it works both ways for us, for sure. Um, so love is to be first and foremost in the marriage, in the younger wife's mind. That's the first thing that comes out of the, mind, uh, out of the mouth of Paul for uh, the older woman to teach the younger woman she is to be a lover of her husband. Um, it's a love that can be trained. Um, it's not the uncontrollable affection which just happened to be found in the wife's presence. Oh, I, I have love for him. I fell in love with him, so I do it. God's love um, that the gospel generates for a husband from a wife is one that can be trained. Um, it doesn't just happen to you. Um, you can't fall into the gospel love required of us. Um, secondly, they were to be the, these younger women are to be children lovers also, verse 4. Same is true for the children. It's one word, it's love on the front, this time with children on the back. And all that was said of the self-giving nature of love for her husband could be said here. Um, and again, she can be and must be trained to love her children. Uh, meaning that her love for her children, it can be grown, it can be cultivated, it can be sharpened, it can be focused, it can be improved upon. So love is to be the first and foremost of the young mom's parenting in the church. Um, the young women of the church are not to play leapfrog over their husbands or their children um, in love. So a couple questions for you, sets of questions. How's your wife heard? Has your wife heard you express gratefulness to God for her and for her love? Um, I try to make it a regular, um, even before I telling my wife, but, but just praying on a consistent basis. One of the first things I think about when I think of Kim is, is thanking God for her love, um, for her faithfulness to me uh, in her promises and marriage, but to be thankful to God that it's a woman who's obedient. And I want to be thankful for that. And, and our wives need to, we need to express that to God. It's a gift from God. If you have a woman who loves you like this, that's a gift. That, that is a gospel-created gift, a, a divine gift from him. Uh, be thankful. Be grateful. Express that gratefulness to her. Um, does she know that you feel loved by her through her acts of love? Um, has your wife heard you express um, that? Have you, have you sat down with her to list for her the many ways you see her sacrifice and love? both for you and for your kids if you have any. Make a list and sit down with her. Have a date night and, and say, here's the way that I see that you sacrifice yourself in life for me. Um, does your wife need your encouragement to keep sacrificing? Does it, is it costly for her to do that? Absolutely. 
Maybe she needs your encouragement to, to press on. Uh, give her what she needs in that. Number three, younger women are to be sensible. Um, that's being in control of oneself. It's being prudent or being thoughtful. Young women need to be trained in using good judgment. Where, do you, where, does, a, where does a younger woman need to be sensible these days? Where does she need to be prudent and thoughtful? Um, she needs to be sensible in, in regards to her use of time, um, right? But I, I find this to be true. My wife would tell you that as well. She needs to be sensible in, in regards to the use of her time and how much time she should be spending outside the home. She needs to be sensible in her use of money. Uh, she needs to be sensible in her use of social media. Um, she needs to be, if she's a mom, she needs to be sensible in how much to have the kids involved in. You know, some moms are, they just, they love their kids so much they want them to experience everything. And so any great thing that comes up that mom enrolls son Johnny and Susie in. And the next thing you know, it's just like your wife is, she's, she's run ragged, she's weary, and, and she doesn't know why things just feel out of control. And, and it might be by her own doing. And you may need to help her to learn to be sensible about what, what, what's realistic about what we can do and can't do um, as a family. So help her with that. Um, Guys, those of you who are not married yet, are, are you looking for a wife who has good judgment in the different arenas of her life? Do you long for your wife to be such a woman? In what ways have you seen your wife use good judgment in the home? She, if you've seen your wife use good judgment in the home, tell her. Tell her, you are a sensible woman. And I see it. Um, okay. Uh, number four, pure. Um, if they encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, to be pure. That, that's just the word for holy. It's a different word than reverent, uh, but you can see that women are never um, to not have this character qualities. When they're younger, they need to be pure. When they're older, they need to be reverent in behavior. Same idea. So if you're a woman and you are, you're, and none of you are, for women in the gospel, whether they're young or they're old, holiness of life always, right? Holiness of life always. Um, question. Are you looking for a wife who is pure in thought and deed? Is that what you're looking for, guys? Or do you want her mostly pure? Do you long for your wife to be pure? If you go to your green sheet on page three, I left a, an important word out and a question. Page three, question 14 on page three. It's the same one that's in your notes right here. But it needs to say, do you know what impurities? It's like uh, on the second line or maybe. It needs to say, do you know what impurities? Question, uh, it's on the first line towards the right side of the page. Do you know what impurities tempt your wife? It's not, do you know impurities tempt your wife? Of course they do. You know that. But do you know what impurities? All right, now that we got that cleared up. Um, do you long for your wife to be pure? Um, do you know what form those temptations to impurity come in? Is it through her use of social media? Is it um, through what she's watching, entertaining herself with? Is it through what you're entertaining both of you with? Guys, we need to be careful that we don't entertain ourselves with impurity. And you may think, well, I'm fine with that. It doesn't bother me, um, liar. Uh, secondly, what about your wife? 
not your wife. God wants her to, to be pure. Um, don't be a complicit in tempting her with impurity. Um, in what ways have you seen purity in your wife in the home? Tell her. Encourage her with that. Study your wife so that you can better encourage her. Number five, workers at home. Ah, let's just skip that one. Number seven, kind or sick. I'm just kidding. This is also one word in the Greek. Um, it's the word house on the front and the word work on the back. So it's workers at home, house worker, house, yeah, um, like that. Uh, it's the carrying out of household responsibilities. It's to be busy with the work that a household of people requires. Um, the idea with this word is is more of what the wife is to be. She is to be a worker in the home. Hi, Jacob. How'd it go over there? Good. Glad you did. It's good to have you here. Um, so the idea with the word is more of what the wife is supposed to be, not just a list of things to do. Uh, what, what, what Paul did not do in Titus 2, verse 5, he did not give a, a specific detailed list of duties that is housework. He wasn't concerned to give a list of duties. What he was concerned to give is, um, no, I just want to point attention to the person who does those, the, the one who works in the home. Um, the home is to be the center of gravity for the woman who is in Christ. So the loving wife, the loving mother, she finds herself absorbed as a house worker in the countless responsibilities that are in the home. Now, why um, why is she this way? Why is she to be a worker at home? Well, because the gospel shapes her to be such. I want you to hear it that way. The gospel, when the gospel saves a woman, the gospel shapes her to be this way. And you say, well, wait a minute, how do you know that? Well, um, look at the words um, right before it. Why is she sensible? Because the gospel shapes her to be a sensible woman. That's the gospel's intent. That's the, 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 the purpose of the grace of God in her life is to make her be a sensible woman. How is she a pure woman? Because the gospel shapes her to be a, a woman of purity. Skip workers at home for a moment. She has to be kind. Why is she that kind of a woman? Because the gospel makes her into a kind woman. Um, and so forth. Working at home is not an idea that some old patriarch in evangelicalism a long time ago and fundamentalism came up with. This is as much a gospel quality of character and being as sensible is, as pure is, as kind is. She is what kind of a woman? She's a kind woman. She's a worker at home woman, too. The gospel makes her into such. Um, and therefore, this is probably the characteristic that gets the most attention, uh, has the most controversy surrounding it, has the most emotions that get flared up on it. it and, and this is the one that is easily negotiated away um, by, by couples. So I want you to think with me on this for a little bit here. Um, look at those other characteristics in the list. Now... Um, I want you to I want you to go with me in this line of thinking for a moment. I'm not saying that any of you have done this, that you've negotiated this away with your wife or anything, but but let's let's think as maybe a man 
who might be tempted to negotiate the worker at home thing away for the wife. Which one of these things in the list here um, would you feel comfortable negotiating, uh, negotiating away in a young woman's life? Um, encourage the young woman to love her husband. Do, would you want to negotiate that away for her? How about if she just does it part-time? No, we, we don't want that, right? What about to love um, the children? Can she just do it halfway? No, of course not. Well, what about, do we, do we feel comfortable negotiating away her um, being sensible? No, we don't want to negotiate that away. What about being pure? Is that something that we feel comfortable negotiating away? Uh, what about being kind? Are we, are we willing to negotiate that away? What, what about being subject to her, her own husband? Should she negotiate, uh, we, should we negotiate that away? Um, it seems kind of silly, right, when you look at it that way. So then why does the worker at home in the list seem to be different in the minds of couples? Why is it so easy for that one to just kind of be off in its own category that can be negotiated away? Because it's not any different in the list than any of the other um, items in the list. Let me let me tackle it from another direction. If you, if you discovered that something was tugging your wife away from loving you or the kids, um, what would you do? Would that be a concern to you? What if you found that something was tugging your wife away from being sensible? Would that be a concern to you? If something was tugging her away from being pure, something was tugging her away from being kind, something was tugging her away from being subject to you, how would you act? Um, if something is tugging your wife away from being a worker at home, what would you do? Hopefully you would feel the same way about that. No! She can't be tugged away from that any more than she can be tugged away from purity or kindness or love towards me. I think it's important for us to, to feel the arbitrariness of taking worker at home and kind of saying, well, that's negotiable. That's, it's just completely arbitrary, guys. There's nothing in the text that indicates that we can treat that one uniquely different than all the others. Um, it shouldn't have a different standard for it. Um, now, that being said, this characteristic doesn't necessarily mean that a wife will never or a mother will never be involved in any kind of work that is outside the home. All you have to do is take a moment and, and look at Proverbs 31 and see what a wise woman back then was like. Um, but I want you to notice very carefully uh, she was not out there just because she was an she was an entrepreneur. I mean, she just was she has great ideas and she she knew how to make money. Everything that she was doing outside of her household, she was doing for the purpose of fulfilling her responsibilities in her household. What she found herself able to do outside either advanced her ability to fulfill her role in her home, or it enabled her to carry out ministry to the poor. Uh, to be kind to people. So what was in her line of trajectory 
in Proverbs 31 was she was going to be a woman who was after her household. And going outside of the home was not something that went off over here and made her look at something else. Going outside the home was within her sight of caring for her home because she had to care for her home. All of the household responsibilities. And I think Paul is just saying the exact same thing. We're getting the same instructions in Christ for the church. She is to be a worker at home. Will that mean that she will sometimes be doing some things outside of the home? Sure. But what must we keep in mind? That it's not something that's a a distraction away from her responsibilities, um, but that which only helps her fulfill her responsibilities. Um, you um, You need to know your wife well. Because every woman is, is different. Um, whatever you saw your mom do, your wife may not be that way. Whatever you saw your, mom, your wife's mom do, she may not be that way. Whatever you see your best friend's wife do, she may not be that way. She's who she is. You need to know your wife well. Some, some women do not do well having very much, if any, work to do outside of the home. Pulling them away. It, it's just too much for them. Um, and you need to know if that is your wife before you ask her to work outside the home. Know your wife. And other women seem to be very different. I mean, they, they may be in a different season of life. The age of the children may make a difference um, and whatnot. But the point here is whether your wife um, or the mother of your kids works out the home, outside of the home or not, This characteristic in in Titus 2, verse 5, working at home, it must still be her center of gravity. That's what drives her. As much as purity is. You wouldn't want her to go do something outside of the home that took away from her purity, (coughs) took away from her sensibility, took away from her kindness. You would want her to only make sure that whatever she does, it only advances her purity, advances her sensibility, advances her being a worker at home. Right? And so this is where you have to be very careful as her husband and as her head because it's very easy. If you're the one who's asking her to work outside of the home, recognize that you may be potentially, possibly, making it more difficult for her to have the home be the center of gravity for her. You might be, not automatically, but you might be, and you need to be thoughtful of that. You need to know your wife. You need to be thoughtful about what you're asking. Um, it, it's also important that um, she would be able to see, that you would understand the clear connection from her work outside of the home to her responsibilities in the home. She should be able to draw a straight line of connection, not a meandering I listened to all of your argumentation, husband, for how I'm supposed to be out home. And there it is. And here's my responsibilities at home. I have no idea how I got there. It should not be that way. It should be, honey, I thought about this. I want you to work outside the home. And here's how it contributes directly to you fulfilling Titus 2.5. Okay? There needs to be that kind of a thoughtfulness. So sometimes for a season of life, under really well-thought-out circumstances, um, a couple may find it necessary for the family to have the wife working outside the home. But that decision 
should be made only after really careful consideration and a reminder that this characteristic in Titus 2.5 is not negotiable. Okay? Somebody had a hand up? Trevor. Yeah, probably the that's a good question, Trevor. Probably the the only the place I'd be most comfortable to go to would would be actually to go to to Proverbs 31 and show how. Um, in fact, I just encourage you guys read that today and watch for what she's doing outside the home, how it clothes her family, how it um, she smiles at the future. She has she has provided and helped care so well for her household by what she's doing that her family gains security from her. The household benefits. What that looks like specifically, I don't I don't know. I'd, I'd probably we'd probably want to talk through each person, you know, because uh, again, every woman is different. I know my wife. I know that when she she wants to do it all, and when she gets going. Um, and she, by the way, being a worker, what else can distract from working at home? It's not just working and having a job outside. It can be ministry outside the home. Ministry, having a wife who wants to meet with people and care for people, that's awesome. It can also be a distraction to working at home. It can be. Not automatically, but it can be. You need to know your wife. That's the point. Know the woman that is the mother of your children and is your wife and, 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 and be able to determine the thing that I think where you and I as men have to, um, look, we're nuts and bolts and we're pragmatic. Uh, we're spending this much and the bottom line is this much and we ain't making it. Um, honey, the family, the household would benefit if you got a job. That's right, hon. See how I'm thinking for the household? Your, your work in the home would be much better because, baby, I give you more money through your salary. It'd be easy for, I obviously painted that in a, in a ridiculous way, but but maybe it's not so ridiculous. I know I know men in our church who, over the last few years, because the economy has been what the economy has been and income has decreased, that the first reflex on their mind was, "Oh my goodness, honey, you've got to get a job." And what I'm saying, and I think what we want to encourage here from Titus too, is maybe we should give some thought to the impact that that would not maybe we have to give thought to the impact that that'll make on this responsibility because you don't want to negotiate away her kindness. You don't want to negotiate away her sensibility, her purity. You don't want to just negotiate this away easily. So be thoughtful. Be thoughtful about that. When, when we were younger, and look, these are, these are examples. These are not anything that are even as, as to be put as authority. I mean, every one of you can think of examples. When, when um, we were younger um, and we had no kids, um, Kim worked part-time outside the home she wanted to. Um, it was helpful. It was encouraging for her. She had um, ministry and working in a bookstore, uh, in a Christian bookstore, and it was good. When, when, I, when I finished seminary and we knew that we were actually going to start getting a real salary, um, the first decision we made was, let's just live now in a way that will never be dependent on, on what you make. You just be home. And we didn't have kids for nine and a half years. Um, for God's good reasons. Um, and so, 
she could have. She could have had flexibility. Um, but we made the choice for us to not do that because we wanted to be ready when kids came for that. Some of you um, are newly married and, and your wife works. That's fine. It's great. Give thought to her being a worker at home. Be planning for the future. Think about the way that you're living now. If you're dependent upon two incomes and, and, you, and you're not going to make any changes, if she gets pregnant, you're going to have to think about her responsibilities at home <coughs> to care for the household. Just, just think. Scott? Yeah, it's really, really good to think this through. I spent a lot of time thinking about this first with son and then talking about it with your wife, um, especially if you're kidless and you are married. Um, you want to communicate to your wife that um, your heart and your affection and your priority is to provide for your family from the work that God gives you to the work of your own hands. And there are different seasons that the Lord has you in in those times. Let your wife know that you're thinking and you're praying about those things. But something that's very, very helpful for your wife is if you can demonstrate to her that your affection for her godly character and your concern for her godly character exceeds and surpasses um, any affection you have for standard of living or for or stuff like that. And again, we're in, we're in conditions where these are unique, these are perhaps more challenging than <coughs> previous generations. But when you can communicate your wife, your primary concern is for the character that we laid out here and how you saw it. You're going a long way in these actions. It's very, very helpful. Let's turn it um, the other way. Just because a wife is home all of the time uh, doesn't mean she's a worker at home. Right? If I was home all the time, I would be a slug. Because I, because I could. And our wives may not be all that different than the way we are. Um, so just because a woman is at home doesn't mean she's a worker at home because wives can be lazy. Wives can be slothful. Women can be irresponsible. Women cannot be good stewards of their time and of their resources for the family. Um, the point is to not just be at home. The point is that the gospel makes her into a worker at home, right? So are you looking for a wife? And by the way, I mean, if you look at it in the, in the world, you wouldn't look for a worldly woman. The world is not going to produce this kind of woman with this kind of concern and focus, right? right? Now, tell me this. Move into the church. What church is discipling the women to think this way? There's... There's not a whole lot that are. Um, so you need to be looking for a woman who's thinking this way. If you're not married yet, you need to be um, looking for a woman who's centering her life, even as a single woman, um, who, who wants to work at home. It's just her heart's desire to be that. As much as it is to be sensible, as much as it is to be pure, as much as it is to be kind, those kind of things. Do you, do you long for that kind of a woman? Um, Another set of questions. Is it your concern to direct your wife to the work that the home requires of her? Do you, do you know what work it is that she does or that she should do each week? I remember um, one, one husband just being like, you know, here's, here's what we do. Last snapshot that we get of the house is in the morning, snapshot. There's the house going through its busy things that it's doing, and we step out for eight, <coughs> nine, ten hours, however much, 
we come home and we step back in and we see whatever it is that's going on and we are clueless about what happened in between. We think it was romper room and Sesame Street and playing and naps and snacks and you know all kinds of stuff all day. Um, and I can remember one day, one husband saying to his wife, um, what, what do you do all day? And she just about hit him. She's like, you ha- what? You don't know? And, and so the, the, the point is, know what your wife does. Ask her. Don't ask it like, what do you do all day? Okay, that, that's, this probably has a degree of offense to it. But, but um, ask, tell me what you do. Tell me what you tell me what you just investigate and, and um, examine and, and ask good questions. Observe. Um, ask your wife about the work that she does so that you understand what's required of her. Because it, it might be the kind of thing when you ask your wife and, and you find out that she does this, and you're thinking, I think I think I'd like to have her maybe consider doing something outside the home. You might go, oh, never mind. I'll figure out a way. We can. We can spend less. I can work more. Whatever. Um, I'm not that. even absolutely sure the sensitive way you said that mm-hmm. was even sensitive enough. Jeff, you're probably right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm older and I've been there. You've been there. Well, I, I would I would take what you say before I would take what I say. <laughs> I, I don't <laughs> know how to say it. Yeah, there's, you know what, let's just, let's just face it. There's a lot that what we say that you, you just can't win on. Um, and so you just have to say it and, and then ask for forgiveness. So um, when was the... It's true. It's true in my house. Um, yeah. When was the last time you thanked your wife for the work that she does in the home? Um, she needs to hear you being really grateful that you benefit from everything that she labors with. Um, could your, wife benefit, could your wife benefit from an older woman helping her to think through the work that a household requires? Um, another question there. Number six, she needs to be kind. To be sensible, to be pure, works at home, kind. Um, some think that Paul had workers at home and kind in mind simultaneously by the way that it's arranged. Uh, possibly could have been. The overwhelming work the home requires, if that is the case, the, the overwhelming work that a the home requires, that can also oftentimes tempt a woman to be just task-oriented. And then as they're going through the tasks, um, a little one gets in the way and creates more tasks. And so it can be tempting for a woman at that point to not be able to find kindness anywhere in response to that. And so working at home is a, is a challenging thing, guys. It, it, I know that we think of it as she doesn't get paid anything for it. Um, there's a high price to pay to be the one who's working at home uh, because people create messes. I don't know if you know this, but you create work for your wife to do at home and your children do if you have them. Um, and, and so maybe this is tied with being a worker at home. It takes a significant level of spiritual maturity uh, in a woman to be a worker at home, to be kind at the same time as she does it with those who oftentimes create more work for her, right? Are you looking for a kind woman to be your wife and the mother of your children? Do you long for your wife to be a kind woman? Are you directing her toward kindness each day? Um, does your wife need your help because she's feeling overwhelmed by the home 
um, and kindness is becoming something increasingly difficult for her to extend. Watch your wife. Um, take care of her. Come alongside her. Help her. Um, number seven. These older women are to help the younger women to be subject to their own husbands. It's the same word for uh, verb for submit in Ephesians 5. The, the idea built into this verb is that there's somebody who's in authority, there's somebody who's in leadership, and then there's another person who is not in authority, who is not in leadership. And in this case, um, it lines up for the wife being the one who does not have the authority, obviously. And um, it has nothing to do with the fact that um, of her spirituality, she is not the one who is subject because she is spiritually inferior from you or from a man. There is spiritual equality there, obviously. Um, a husband, a man, has as much guilt before God to be wiped away by the blood of Christ as a woman does. Um, a woman does not need more forgiveness than a man. Um, the, the submissiveness is not tied to spiritual conditions or spiritual need. Um, it's tied to her role that God has for her. So just like the gospel makes a woman kind, just like the gospel makes a woman pure, just like the gospel makes her sensible, so it makes her a worker at home, and so the gospel also makes her a submissive woman to her husband. That's the implication on the gospel in the home. That's what Paul wants to teach, have Titus teach the church so that they, those outside the church, have nothing bad to say about us. Do you understand? Um, so are you looking for a woman to be your wife who's embraced this submission that God has for her in the gospel? Do you long for your wife to know and even enjoy her submission to you? Uh, are you sacrificing yourself in love for her in such a way that it actually endears her towards submission to you? She wants to submit to you because of the way that you love her. Look, when we submit ourselves to Jesus, it's not a burden, is it? Look at the way he loved us. Look at the way he gave himself up for us. It's a joy to put ourselves under him. It is. And that's what we are to be for our wives. Let's make it a joy for them to submit to us by the way that we love them. Lastly, number three, Roman numeral three. What happens when transformed women are all that they should be? Verse five at the end. Here's the purpose. Here's the result. So that the word of God will not be dishonored. Um, get this. The women in the church, the women in the church, by the way they... Live their own lives, the character of their lives, and by the way that they care for one another, they actually help prevent the word of God from being dishonored. The women of the church prevent the word of God from being dishonored by the way they live. Um, when, when they are living the way that that God says they should live according to the gospel here, um, God's word can't be slandered. It can't be defamed. It can't be spoken irreverently of. It can't be spoken disrespectfully of. When older women are training younger women and helping them to become what they must be in the gospel in these ways. Um, so what Paul is saying here is, is really profound. Um, that Christianity on the island of Crete is going to be judged particularly by the way the gospel impacts women. 
Now he says the same thing for the slaves as well when he keeps giving these statements, you know, like uh, in verse 8. Uh, so that they have nothing bad to say about us. Verse 10, um, so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. Um, it's for all people, but we're focusing in on the women here. Christianity on the island of Crete is going to be judged particularly by the impact that the gospel has on the women. A local church needs to give serious attention to its women and care for it, uh, care for them. It, it's the older women's job to be concerned about their own character so that they can in turn help train the younger women to be of a certain gospel character, right? And then the women are helping to protect God's revelation in the gospel from being profaned by onlookers. Do you get that? The women, as they're obeying uh, the roles and, the, and the, the calling of the gospel in their lives, they're preventing the word of God from being profaned. That's what we want. That's what we must be as a church. We can spend so much time trying to grow the church. Let's make this church move out. Listen, let's be the church. Let's be this. Um, and watch God grow it as we set the word of God up high among us. Do you guys see how much in the church depends upon the women? You need to see that. You need to understand that. Um, the world around us, to a certain extent, will judge us as a church. Um, and they'll judge the, the gospel that we say we believe in and that we preach. They'll judge us and that by the character that the gospel produces in the women of our church. Let me put it another way. The outside world will judge the truth and the power of the gospel by the way the women live in their homes and by the way the women live in the church together. Um, you see a uh, quote there from... Okay. Yeah. To, to such a huge extent, the way the world is out there, they judge, treat, respect women. It's, it's just opposite of what we're doing. So when they see that and then they look at how the women are treated and cared for and loved and respected and honored, they might say, wow. Yeah. That's what we hope, right? Yeah. yeah. MacArthur's got a good quote there. He says, the world judges the gospel, which is the heart of the word of God. Uh, they judge it by the character of the people who believe and claim to be transformed by it. That's, that's, that gets right at the heart of it. So last set of questions. Based on what you've seen of God's design for your wife, what do you think about her being involved with another woman in the church for the sake of accomplishing what Titus 2, 3 to 5 says? Maybe your wife's an older woman and she needs to be, uh, she needs to be meeting with some younger women in the church. Maybe your wife is a younger woman in the church and she needs to be cared for by an older woman in the church. If you're interested in that and you want to think about that, pray about that, talk to your wife about that, come talk to me, let me know. Um, Chris Evans does a, a great job um, in the women's ministry, of, um, and, and we try to help her out. I help her out as the elder that oversees that, of, of thinking through who the godly women of the church are who are well-suited to be mentors or disciples of younger women. And we've got a list of ladies who are just waiting to be able to meet with younger women, and we could always use more older women to be available for the, um, the younger women in the church. So if that's something that you want to talk about, uh, feel free to chat with me about that. We'd love to help you with that. Okay? All right. We did it. We got through all of that. And with that, we're going to um, finish our um, 
study, uh, our, our focus and our times together on the, on the home. Uh, we've covered the heart, and we've now just finished covering the home. And so as I said, next time when we get together, I think it's on the 26th, right? January 26th. We're going to start talking about, okay, now as we're thinking of these things, we're men who shepherd our hearts, we're men who are wanting to care for our households well. Um, now, as we step out into ministry, what kind of men should we be um, for the gospel's sake in the church and outside the church? And, and for that, we're going to be in First Thessalonians 1 and 2 and look at the life of Paul. Uh, what is said in First Thessalonians 1 and 2 there about Paul is really staggering. The emphasis is put more so on the minister of the gospel than the message of the gospel. Paul is trying to remind them as they are being slandered, they've had to flee from the Thessalonians, and Paul is reminding them of the kind of men they used to be when they were among them, or the kind of men they were when they were among them. He's not trying to say, hey, remember the gospel is this, 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 and that. He's saying, remember what I was like when I was with you. And so it's a great letter to be able to examine what does a a minister, a servant of the gospel look like. That's what we should aspire to, uh, to be similar in some way. Okay. Uh, Jacob, how about an update on David? How are things looking? Um, so right now, his, all that we know is his bone marrow stopped making cells. Mm-hmm. So his immune system was compromised. He was severely anemic and no platelets, so he was bleeding. Um, so that transfusion, so we fixed the problem. But now the question is, is it going to get better on its own? Or is it more chronic? And the answer is we don't know yet. So he's energetic. He's quarantined at home, reverse isolation. So um, I think time will tell. We have another blood draw on Monday. The last blood draw was encouraging. It was the first one that showed any <coughs> increase. There was a slight increase in some of its counts. Okay. I mean, the bone marrow is coming back. Was that going on Monday? Tuesday. Okay. So we don't know. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear. Just keep praying. Trust the Lord with you guys. Yeah. Well, let's pray. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for the um, thank you for your 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 intimacy, your nearness to Jacob and Kiki, to David and Eliana. Thank you, Father for being intimately concerned with all of their ways. Thank you for being their comforting presence. Um, Thank you for being their their desire in this, above all other desires. Um, Lord, it is only encouraging to watch them trust in you, depend upon you, um, yearn for you, and glorify you, and set you up as the one that um, we all must see when we look at their lives and the trial that they are in. Lord, as evidence of your grace in their lives, we're, we're so thankful. Um, and Lord, our, our prayer for David is that indeed his, um, his body would be able to produce all of the cells that he needs. And um, so Lord, as we wait, um, we trust in you. You are good and you are kind. You've only expressed all kinds of goodness and kindness in this. And we look forward to more of it so that we can glorify you. Um, Lord, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for the women who are meeting on the other side of this building. We pray, God, that it would be fruitful for them as well today, and that they would grow in the gospel of Jesus. 
Help the women of this church to be strong in the gospel, to have the gospel character that um, you are forming in them. Give us wisdom as men in the church to just give us concern that the women should be this way. And then make us really, really gentle and kind and um, make us into good shepherds who are willing um, to help the women progress along. Our our daughters, our moms, our sisters, um, our wives. Lord, we need you for that. Um, That is beyond us. That is something we can easily mess up. And we ask for your help. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.